Well, it's really, really great to see you and uh, really, really excited. Today we're preaching John chapter 5. And uh, I want to give you a disclaimer up front that I'm so, so excited to preach John chapter 5 because I've got to preach it three times in my life. And every time I've preached it, something radical has moved. Let me tell you, three times ago I preached it and uh, there were a whole bunch of ladies who could not fall pregnant. On the back of this word, fell pregnant. My name is Gabriel and it is the season. Second time, a whole bunch of people got radically healed and then we're flowing of confessing of sin and freedom and chains falling off people. And then the last time, almost as significant, was my good friend, Michael Hedenskov, was a single man before he heard the word. True story. Heard the word of God, make a move, and he went and made a move in faith. If you know him, if you catch my drift. And now he is now Mr. Hedenskog, married to Mrs. Hedenskog. The word of God works, people. Just saying that. John chapter 5. But I want to tell you, I'm excited to preach John chapter 5 because I have a word, but I want to tell you, Jesus is the word. And he is leaning in with anticipation, more anticipation than I have into this moment. And we have we said again and again, we are not preaching a white Jesus we're not preaching a black Jesus. We're not preaching a liberal Jesus or a conservative Jesus. We're not preaching a neat and tidy, copy-paste, whitewashed Jesus. We're not preaching a woke, broke, or joke Jesus. We are preaching a Jesus who turns over tables. A Jesus who riles up the religious elite. A Jesus who ruins every funeral he attends. We're preaching Jesus unfiltered. And I really believe that he's going to move and cause some things to move this morning. So I want to tell you this morning, the title is Sick of Being Stuck, St- Sick of Being Stuck. And maybe you're here today and you're feeling like life has ground to a halt. Maybe you, something happened years ago, a moment, a circumstance, and your life just got stuck in that moment. Everything else is passing you by or everyone else is moving around you in your periphery, but it feels like your life in some areas have got stuck, stuck in grief, stuck in resentment. Stuck in the same fight, in the same lies, in the same promises. Stuck in the same battles, the same diagnosis. Stuck in the same obstacles. Maybe it was stuck at the same, that, that one mistake. That one mistake that is, has paled and caused everything else in your life to just veer off course. That one night, that one moment that you wish you could take back. You wish you could reel back in, but you can't. So you feel like you're stuck there. Smile on the outside. But everything else is ground to halt on the inside. Today, I want to tell you that I really, be, really believe that Jesus is inviting us, that we're, maybe we've put full stops where he says, I only intended to be a comma. Where you've put a full stop, Jesus says, that only was intended to be a comma. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you're sick in your physical being, your spiritual being, your me- mental being, your emotional being. Maybe you're stuck in any of those areas. But today, my prayer is that the word of God would move us to being sick of being stuck, and that we'll make a move, that we'll move forward in faith. So why don't we preach this together? Why don't we stir up faith together? Because faith comes here in the Word, but we receive it together and apply it together. So why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell them with as much gusto as you can conjure up, I am sick of being stuck. If they are rather attractive and you're single like my friend Michael, you can say, but not stuck next to you. That one's for free. It worked last time. We're going to read scripture. John chapter 5, verse 1 to 15. 
I want to tell you, we're going to read it on the screen together, but if you have your Bibles, why don't you open it up? Because this, really, this is how we wage war with the Word of God. If you don't have a Bible, I want to implore you to get one. Here's my strategy for you today. Straight off this meeting, go to the nearest hotel, second drawer on the left, filled with Gideon's Bibles. Take one, take as many as you need, but get the Word of God. John chapter 5, verse 1 to 15, here we go. It says this, afterward. Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was a pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up the sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The Lord doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. And instantly, he was healed. And instantly, he was healed. And instantly, he was healed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. Your unchanging word that changes us. I thank you, Father, we come this morning not wanting to be stirred, but we want to be changed. We come today not just for mere religion, we want revival. Today we don't come just for more information, we come for transformation. And I thank you, Father God, would you stir up our hearts, change our hearts, revive our hearts, transform our hearts so that we would become sick of being stuck. And as you move, we would move in your wake. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Three things from this text that will set us up as a preface that kept this man stuck at that water's edge for 38 years. Number one, he was stuck in his condition. Stuck in his condition. 38 years. 38 years, longer than Jesus had been alive himself. 38 years he had been stuck, paralyzed, lying on a mat. The Bible gives us no backstory, so uh, excuse my imagination for a moment. I, I thought, think back, how did this all begin? How, what, was he born crippled? Was he, did an accident occur? We, we're not too sure, but, but what, what we can imagine, what we can surmise is that this, this guy at some level had some parents, and, and imagine he was born and he, and he wasn't able to use his legs and he would always look longingly at the other kids who were playing the sports, who were playing the games, running up and down. And he would long for that. And, and there was a desire in his heart. So they went to doctors. They went to specialists. They go into all the creams and lotions and potions. And they, they did it all, but nothing seemed to work. So they, they threw a Hail Mary and went to this, this pool, this mythical pool that if, if you got there and lay there and the waters moved, maybe you could get a healing. So he went there one day and he was all excited as a young boy. And they went there the first night, lay his new mat out all the way from macro, beautiful mat. Whoa, put it down. He lay on it. It was on specials, incredible, but he lay on it. And there's like this anticipation, it's just going to happen today. And nothing. 
But they rolled up the mat, picked him up, put him back in the car, got him all the way home, put him at the dining room table. He says, no, never mind, mom and dad. You know, when I walk, oh, I, I can't wait. And he starts to dream about the games he'll play, the position he'll play on the rugby field and, and the friends he'll be able to engage with. And, and he's so excited. Another day, they'll, let's try it again. They went again and again and again and again. If it was the movie, it would be like those calendar. <laughs> Many winters, summers, autumns, springs went by. And that journey got a little bit more stale and a little bit more harder with every time. And the boy said, no, just now would not be always buoyant. to just say, take me to the pool. Lie me down. And as he got into his teenage and adolescent phase and a little bit older, after a while, he just suddenly started saying to his mom and dad, actually, just drop me and leave me and come at the end of the day. And then that conversation probably got a little bit stale. And he said, no, actually, disappointing. Just Maybe just leave me here and, and come every now and again. Bring me food. Bring me a change of clothing. I've just, I just need to keep my spot. Just keep me here. I'm holding you guys. Your whole life seems to be put in pause now. You feel stuck. I don't want this to affect you. And they, they, first, they, 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 they say protest at first, but then after a while, I find they'll relent. And, and after a while, it just got more and more disheartened. When they went there, they started dreading going to see their son because he was, he was in a funk. He wouldn't even move, wouldn't even look at them anymore. And they would come and, they're, are you okay? And well, I don't actually want to go there that often. And they started to delay. And after a while, they just stopped going. Because it's the same conversation, the same story, the same thing on repeat. He was stuck. 38 years stuck in his condition and almost got to a point where he's probably saying, this is who I am. This is who I'm always going to be. Just leave me here. And I think so often we can get to that sort of place with our lives. Maybe not as dramatically, maybe it's more secret or hidden. But we'll start saying things like, just accept me for who I am. Rather than trying to make me change. We'll start saying, encourage me from where I am. You'll, you'll start, saying, start saying things like, affirm me rather than change me. Enable me rather than change me. Pity me, but don't try and change me. Now I want to tell you, I love the Bible because there's so many people in the Bible who we don't know their names, but we are very well aware of their condition. Just a chapter before, there's a Samaritan woman, unnamed Samaritan woman. We don't know her name, but we are very well aware of her full sexual history. <laughs> Five, me husband's knees. Wow. That she's known as that. There's another guy who was the man born blind. No name, just the condition. There's a woman caught in adultery. There's a woman with an issue of blood. There's all these different, there's a demoniac man. There's all these different people who have no names, but just defined by their conditions. But I am here today. I really believe that God has sent me to come and preach to you today and preach to my own heart this reminder that you are not your condition. You are not your issue. That Jesus is here today. Yeah, come on. Jesus is here today and he's walking amongst us and I believe he is by his word is wanting to rename you. Where you have named yourself by your condition, by that event, by that circumstance that has kept you on your mat. He says, I want to rename you. Years ago, before I was born, my parents in Zimbabwe had a spare room that they filled with a man out of, out of compassion, a man who needed a room to rent for a couple nights. He moved in. And a couple nights turned to a couple weeks. And as the, as the story will often go, a couple weeks turned to a couple months and turned to a long, drawn-out affair. And this man dragged not with him, just didn't come just occupy the room. He actually, his mood occupied the whole house. He was a man in such a bad way and in a foul space of life and resentment and bitterness that just affected the whole house. How, so how funny how a small room will affect everything else. And, uh, and uh, my parents were there, was fighting, and you tell him to me, no, you, I didn't invite him in here, you tell him, I can't do it, he's in such a bad way, what are people, we, how, where will he go, you know, and, uh, and after a while, the, the, the miracle of miracles happened, 
Sue and Rowan Phillips fell pregnant with the child of promise. The golden boy. The ginger, the ginger kid. Whatever you want to go with. There we go. But I was, <laughs> yes. But uh, I, was, I was born and then all of a sudden they needed that room. But there was someone occupying that room. So they had to do something. They had to either just allow that and, and try and keep going with their life and stay stuck in this environment. Or they could drive him out and fill that room with their own flesh, the gift of God. And they named me Gabriel, messenger of God, message from God, where they said, actually, for too long, too long there's been a message from the enemy that's kept you stuck. It's time to bring the message of God into that room. It's time to allow the word of God to infiltrate that room. And the same invitation is here for you and I in this moment. I want to tell you, Jesus wants to rename you. Maybe you have said things like this, and I've said all of the above and more. I am bitter. I am angry. Maybe you've not said it out loud, but you've believed in your heart and kept you stuck on your mat. I'm addicted. I'm frustrated. I'm short-tempered. I'm lonely. I'm depressed. I'm ugly. I'm lazy. I'm unlovable. I'm a racist. I'm greedy. Today I come to stand here tell you that my name is Gabe Phillips, and I am sick of being stuck. And I pray the same for you too. Secondly, he was stuck, not just in his condition, but in his superstition. Let's read verse 3 together quickly. Verse 3 appears on the screen. It says, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. Let's read the next verse, verse 4. Um, no, that's verse 5. Yeah. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, lay on the porches. Next verse, please. No. That's verse 5. That's verse 5. Where's, where's verse 4? Just go back. Go forward. Go back. Go forward. There's no verse 4, people. What's going on here? There's a missing verse. Feels like I'm in the movie National Treasure and I'm Nicolas Cage. I'm, there's a missing verse. Reference for all those older than 30. Anyway. I love this. Is that actually, if you look in your Bible, end of verse 3 has a little asterisk. There's no verse 4. The asterisk there will point you to a little footnote underneath and say, verse 4 was later added in a later manuscript, not making it invalid, but actually it was added to give an explanation to why all these people would go and paralyze, blind, and lay people, go and sit around a pool. It doesn't sound that appetizing, but that's why they do it. Why are they doing it? Well, verse 4 is added to explain to us. This is what it says, that they were waiting for a certain movement of the water, for an angel of the Lord would come from time to time and stir up the water. And the first person to step in after the water was stirred, was stirred was healed of whatever disease he had. The strange scene of people waiting by a water, looking at a water, giving their whole lives to be around this pool, was so strange that somebody had to add a verse to explain this phenomenon. So bizarre. I've got to put in an extra verse, wedge it in there to let you know why this weird superstition was happening. This, this practice, why people were orienting their whole lives around this thing. Had this belief system, they had to add in a verse. Here's my point. What have you added to make sense of your dysfunction? What have you added to make sense of your addiction, your habitual sin, your brokenness? What have you added to allow to define you? Things like this, we say things like this so often, it comes falls off the tongue. You know, God only helps those who help themselves. Unbiblical. Not in the text. Because I'll tell you why. The Bible tells me this, that God died for me while I was helpless, while I was a sinner, his enemy, while I had no strength to help myself. God helped me while I was dead. And I've seen no dead people helping themselves do anything. 
say things like this, you know, maybe I'm here as a result of God punishing me. Daddy did this and X, Y, Z, and that did this, and now I'm in this place because Dad, God is punishing me. Or what I did last week, oh, God is punishing me. Again, I want to tell you, not the full biblical picture because actually the reality tells us that God said He punished fully. He poured out His wrath fully, punished His Son fully in our stead on the cross. There's no remission of sins remaining. This is the good news of the gospel that we have to believe. We say things like, I know God says, but to explain our behavior or explain our being stuck. We say, I I want to, but I can't move on because fill in the blank. We gather around a pool and gazing. Maybe if that thing changes, if that thing moves, then I'll be able to move. And God said, no, no, I want something else to move first. I want to tell you today, you don't need to add or take away anything from the word. This is Jesus unfiltered. It's time to have the word of God unfiltered. Take away your biases, your superstitions, your additions, your subtractions. Say, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm sick of being stuck. And I pray you are too. Thirdly, you're stuck in this tradition. Fast forward to the end of the story. He gets miraculously healed. And the next scene is almost as bizarre as that verse 4. That verse 4 is bizarre. There's a superstition, angel comes down, flutters his wings, the water moves, people jump and get healed. That's bizarre. For me, even more bizarre is the fact a man who has been lame for 38 years gets healed, and the response from the temple is the Pharisees sprinting out with flared nostrils, angry as hell, and saying, you did it on the wrong day! 38 years, come back tomorrow, Jesus! He must lie there now. No, back on your mat, boy. Bizarre. Bizarre. We say things like that. We say, you know, God can't do this because of X, Y, Z. God won't do this because of X, Y, Z. God mustn't do this because of X, Y, Z. Let me tell you the truth here, that God is not moved by our traditions. Jesus is actually willing to break every protocol to bless you. In fact, he does his best work outside of the traditions of man. I, I love this story. There's a man named Surprise Satole. I love his name because it's a, his name is literally Surprise. And, and that's literally what God does every time he preaches. Just incredible. He's a man who's by natural um, first look at first glance, an uneducated man with no real uh, lure to him. But when he preaches, things move. Things move. He was invited uh, to go to preach at the Vatican, and I was at this conference where there was many illustrious speakers, and he was far down the line, and all doing representing different uh, charities and different organizations around the world, and he was seeing the feeling getting smaller and smaller and smaller as he saw all these, these broad-shouldered men and, and come and giving these big di- religious diatribes and speaking about this thing and using big words he never heard of, and he thought, oh my goodness, what am I going to do here? What am I doing here? And as he shuffled onto the stage, he looked down, he saw row upon row of, he said, what he said, he described as a whole lot of stuck people. People who are in long, big uh, religious garb and hats, arms folded, looking very bored, waiting for the tea break, just looking at him, who is this guy coming up here? Who's this small man coming up here? And he got up there and was like, uh, started to speak and fumbled over his words, and he could feel, see some yawns there, see some more folded arms, people dozing off a little bit. And he started to say, God, they are so stuck, you, you can't move here. You can't do anything. He said, I'm used to seeing the Holy Spirit move and set people free, but I'm speaking. They're too stuck. There's no room for you to move. So he said, what must I do, God? He started talking. This is in the monologue. He hears the voice of God say to him, throw out your drinking water. He's like, no, God. I've come all the way from Africa. I could only let the African man start cause a scene. (laughs) 
So he keeps going. It's going nowhere. But then he hears the voice of God saying, just throw out the water. Trust me. He's like, oh, all right. So he, he gets up. It's like this awkward, like, so, um, yeah, telling a story. He's nervously doing it. And he just throw out the water. So, he, yeah, this is happening. And he's like, uh, and he's like um, after a while, he just stops, looks out, and goes, ah! <laughs> no, you too. And waiting for extra measure. You guys want? No. What happens next is that the people at the back did not re- recognize what he was doing. They thought he was throwing out holy water. So what happened next was pure pandemonium broke out. As people at the back thought, I want to get that holy water. If the strange man from Africa is throwing out holy water, I'm going to get me some holy water. They started climbing over pews. People were falling over. The, the religious God was falling over themselves, falling apart. There was pandemonium breaking out. People were running to get the water at the front. And as he saw the scene, like he was going, oh my goodness, what do you do now? He felt God say, they're no longer stuck. I can move. <laughs> I want to tell you today, I'm sick of being stuck. And I pray that you too would be sick of being stuck. You see, we find this man sick and stuck at a stagnant pool. Stuck in his condition, stuck in his superstition, stuck in his tradition. But then we have a man named Jesus who is always wanting to get things moving. Let's turn our attention to that man, Jesus. Let's give him a full view off the mat and look at the king, look at the Messiah. Verse one says this, arriving in Jerusalem, he arrived there for a Jewish holy day, one of the feasts. Now, the, what the scholars will tell us, which feast was it? Passover, weeks, booths, uh, was it uh, Pentecost? What was it? Was it uh, tabernacles? Which feast was happening? And I want to tell you, I don't mind what one you want to go, biblical scholars here, want to say, no, it was that feast, whichever you want to choose. Whatever feast happened, when feasts happened in Israel, it was a party. People, above, crowds upon crowds would stream towards Jerusalem. They'll stream to the temples, the focal point. They were, everything was put on hold for weeks to prepare for this, to get ready for this. They would, you'll take leave to get there in this moment. The whole city would grind to a halt around this festival of celebration, of prayer, of worship, of feasting, of eating together, seeing friends and family. It was a party at the temple. But I love Jesus. Everyone is streaming to the temple and having to bypass this awkward thing called the Pool of Bethesda, full of depressed, broken, anxious, worked up, forgotten people. They have to bypass that to get to the temple. Oh, sorry, going there, more important things. But we have a king named Jesus who says, I'm going to skip the party, I'm going to the pool. And he heads down to the pool, the pool that is smelly disease-ridden, infected, broken, depressed, a place where everyone else had just washed their hands of those people and moved on. But I want to remind us today, maybe it's for one person here, that grace did not come to hang out at the country club. Grace came to hang out in the ditch outside the club. That actually this is the good news of the gospel. Jesus came not to those who deserve it, not to those who demand it, but to those who desperately need it the grace of God. So much so, verse 2 tells us that he arrived near, uh, this, this pool was near the sheep gate. I love John. He's, he's got an agenda. He's not worried about different people's names. Ah, I'll forget their names. I don't need to know their names. But he'll go to extreme lengths to tell us about the sheep gate being near it. Why? Because that pool was notoriously used to house the crippled, the infirm, the lame, the blind, but also the shepherds who were also on the outside looking in because they were a little bit dirty people. But when they had a feast, they would come marching all the sheep in, and the sheep that were going to be used for sacrifice at the temple would have to go and be washed, as, as, as some scholars will tell us, in that same pool. They would come and bring these sheep and wash them in those, pool, in those pools, preparing them for sacrifice there. 
the lamb that were coming to be the, the remission of sins that were going to become the thing that's going to be the price that's paid for freedom that's going to get set people free and set them free from their bondage. Those lambs are going to be the sacrifice going to the temple. They would go past all these crippled people saying, guys, that's for the temple. Sorry, it's not for you. We just know what should we take the lambs there. Sorry, not for you guys. You stay there. You're stuck there. Stay there. But John tells us in John chapter 1, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus, that lamb is not rushing to the temple. He's running to the pool. He says, the Lamb of God's come here. It's come to you. I'm coming to you in your broken space. And then we walk, we arrive at this place. It says, the pool of Bethesda, they had five uh, covered porches, five po- covered colonnades. Five. Again, John, is, is, he's writing with agenda here. He's wanting us to see what's going on. When he says there's five colonnades, he's not just trying to give us architectural types, a vision of what is going on there. No, he's wanting to remind us there's something more significant at play. You see in the Bible, the number five in the Jewish uh, idea of, of Scripture is that the number five is the number of grace. Seven is the number of completion. Six is the number of man. Five is the number of grace. And it works like this in Genesis that God created the world, as we know, in five days. If it's a heresy, heresy. No, stick with me. Yes, seven days. But he did his work of creation in five days. And then on the sixth day created man and said, man, I've done all the heavy lifting for you. It's yours. Grace is at work. That's what grace is. I've done all the heavy lifting. You just get to walk into it. The, the, the line of Aaron, who's the depiction of the, the high priesthood of grace, there is only five, the lineage of five men that came from Aaron's line, saying these are the high priesthood of natural origin, unmixed, unstuck vision of grace. And this is an incredible understanding. When Jesus walks in the story, all the other high priests are hustling past, all the priests are hustling to the temple, but Jesus, the great high priest, walks into the middle of their mess, wades into the middle of this crippled man's mess, and says, I am the high priest who comes to you. I am the high priest who goes before you. Though you cannot walk, I'll go where you your feet cannot go. This is the high priest that goes before us. It keeps going. There's five primary types of offerings God commanded Israel to bring to him. Five, the different offerings. And Jesus comes and says, you know what? You, you might not be able to afford or beg or borrow or do anything to get all those offerings to the temple, but I am the great offering that comes to you. It just keeps getting better and better. On the cross, when Jesus died, there were five wounds that were piercing him. There was the, the one wound that went to, to nailed him to his feet. There was a wound in his right hand, a wound in his left hand. There was a crown of thorn in his head. And then the fifth one was a spear that went in his side. And grace was released over humanity. It's amazing. When grace walks into a room, things that are stuck starts to move. Let me tell you, I love this fact. Then we get to the crux of it, that 15 whole verses with superstition, conditions, traditions. But Jesus gets two lines. And his first one is this. Jesus walks in to a man who's been 38 years, walks up to this man, looks at him, and says this one line. He says, do you want to get well? How unpastoral, Jesus. Huh, am I right? 38 years. Get down on his level. Come on, Jesus. Hey, buddy. Shucks, man, you've been in a tough time, eh? Yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. So is this mat, oh, this mat was from that uh, yeah, 1980s cell. I remember, yeah, 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 macro. They, I think they've discontinued these mats. Um, so like, do you ha- is this your spot? Like how do you, what happens here? Tell, yeah, tell, and how did it happen? Tell me about your legs. Tell me about your mom and dad. Let's work, what did they, what did they, and they've left you here. Yeah, you, no, come on, man. We need to talk about that more. Can I, where are you going to be tomorrow? Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's again, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's what I would do. 
But Jesus is very unpastoral in our lenses. He walks in, doesn't ask any questions, no psychoanalyzing, no debriefing, no sitting on the mat, no you do you boo, just says, do you want to get well? In our culture, we'll go hashtag mean Jesus. Cancel him. Mm -mm. He does not know my pain. How dare he speak so arrogantly to me? Dismissive of my 38 years. Do you want to get well? I want to tell you, maybe we actually, when you're in closer inspection and reflection, that we're not actually as sick of being stuck as we first thought we were. That maybe we've become comfortable being stuck, content being stuck, and actually the mat has become part of our identity. That's who I am. I love the fact that Jesus is asking this question, do you want to get well? For me, it's a simple one. I'm a standard grade student at best, but I would imagine it's A, yes, B, no, and there's C, no. There's no C. There's no C. There's no all of the above. It's one or the other. But this guy goes, no, there's a C. I want to tell you my answer. This is what he says. Do you want to get well? He goes, others have gotten in front of me. Nobody's been here to help me. And he starts to lay out all his excuses, all 38 years of pain and bitterness and resentment and frustration pour out of him. But Jesus in this moment, I love it, says, do you want to get well? I want to remind us, I think there is a, if I can speak as strong as possible in this moment, I think that there is a spirit in this world today, there's a spirit in our lives that we've let loose that is keeping people on the mat. And it's called self-justifying. That's just who I am. I'll always be like this. And we've actually spiritualized our dysfunction. We've actually spiritualized our sin. We've spiritualized it. And, and I want to tell you about this reality. This man was covered by grace. Well, how do I know that? Well, that colonnade is five porches. That covering was made there to be a house of mercy and grace for the infirmed. It was made there to provide shade from. He was under the covering of grace, but he was a man who had not been changed by grace. And too many Christians are okay being covered by grace, but not allowing the grace of God to change them. It's the reality that actually we has paid for the penalty of our sin. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. The, the courts of heaven, we are not guilty because of the blood of the Lamb. The penalty of sin has been done away with. But so too has the power of sin. You do not have to stay on the mat any longer. Do you want to get well? If that is the case, then you've got to lose the label. I'm going to make some of you very, very angry right now. You ready? You are not a victim. You're not a victim. I'm just following Jesus here. You might say, yeah, but you don't know my 38 years. You don't know the, the abuse, the pain. And I go, I don't know the full extent of it. And my heart breaks for it. Jesus is not unmerciful towards it. But this is his mercy. Him saying, I see your condition. I see your superstition. I see your tradition. But here's my invitation. This is the good news of the gospel. I want to tell you right now that we not just have to lose the label, lose the excuse. We say things like, it's not my fault. You know what they did, she did, he did, what they didn't do, what they, uh, what they spoke about me. And I want to remind us that I think we are unable to pick up our mats because we're too busy picking up offenses. I'll say that again. I think we're too busy picking up offenses to be able to pick up our mats. Bitterness will keep you lying on your mats way after they have moved on. I want to tell you today, Jesus loves you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you as you are. You're covered by grace, but you're also called to be changed by grace. Are you sick of being stuck?
do you want to be well? You see, what Jesus was doing in that question, that loaded question, was he saying, before you can walk, I need you to want. Before you can walk, I need you to want. I need you to move away from your comfortable living around that mat. And this is the incredible thing. He says, condition, superstition, tradition, yeah, 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 yeah. Invitation. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. He said, stand up. Change your perspective. Change your perspective. Eyes off of the pool. Eyes off of the other people. Eyes off of the opposition. Eyes off the offense. Stand on the word. Lift your eyes. Lift your eyes. Stand up. Pick up your mat. Roll up that thing that has been holding you, that's been confining you. Done with the old, and now it's time to carry the thing that has been carrying you. Carry the thing that has been defining you. And he says, and walk, move forward. I want to tell you, your healing has more to do with your future than your past. And there are people who are waiting, longing, and needing you to get off your mat so you can help them off theirs. This is the gospel for you and I. And I want to remind us, as we rewind this, as we come into land, this, we're told that this all happened at a pool called Bethesda. Now, this is huge because that word Bethesda, in the, in, in the Jewish language, Beth, the first part of it means house. That's where we get the name, Bethlehem, house of bread. Bethesda, Beth house is easy. It's the second part of it that is hard to translate. It's very easy to, and sometimes to know how we got there. It's very hard to know how to move on. But the second part, Bethesda, can be translated. It does, it does the translators, it does the hidden. Because of the different languages, there's two possible ways you can translate that. You can translate in the positive, house of mercy and grace. Or depending on the way you, the different way it's translated with the different language and emphasis, it can be translated house of shame and disgrace. And for that young, that boy, 38-year-old man, it had become a house of shame and disgrace. But also I want to tell you today, I'm preaching the word of God to you. This moment for people who receive it by faith can become a moment of mercy and grace. And in the same priest word, in the same room, people can sit there and say, but I'm happy, I'm offended. How dare he say that? He doesn't know what I'm doing. I've got this stuff. All, I've, no, I, let me try and hold this thing together. And the same word can become a word of shame and disgrace because you refuse to receive it. I see your condition. I know your superstition. I'm aware of your tradition. But here, this is my invitation. You see, this man had got stuck He'd put a full stop where there should have been a comma. And we have that tem temptation all the time to put a full stop and say, that is who I am. That is what I've done. That is what will define me. And we do it outwardly. We do it subconsciously. We put full stops where God said, no, 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 no. It was just a comma because I want to show off my house of mercy and grace. I want to show off that moment. And I love the fact that Jesus always comes to get things moving. You see, in the scripture, in the book of John, which we're studying together, the whole flow of John, there's, a lot, there's this, this beautiful imagery of water all the way through it, cascading through the book of John. John chapter 2, people who've got stuck at a wedding, Jesus said, I'm going to turn water to wine. In John chapter 3, a man, who, Nicodemus, who got stuck in tradition and religion, Jesus says, you're going to be, need to be born again of water and the Spirit. In John chapter 4, a Samaritan woman who's stuck in her sexual depravity, Jesus walks and says, streams of living water are going to start flowing. In John chapter 5, we just read about a man who was stuck at a pool. Jesus says, no, I'm going to come and set you free at that place. John chapter 6, a whole bunch of disciples who are stuck on a boat in the midst of a raging storm. Jesus says, forget the storm, I'm walking on the water. John chapter 7, a whole religious debate is going backwards and forwards and missing the points. And Jesus stands up in a loud voice and says, I am the living water. 
all the way through to John chapter 19, when he hangs on the cross, the, the, the spear, the, 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 the nail goes into his feet, the nail goes into the hand, the third nail into his other hand, the crown of thorns is head, and the fifth spear goes into his side, and as the spear goes in, the Bible tells us, goes to length to tell us that blood and water flowed out. The grace of Jesus started to flow. The goodness of God started to flow. And I can imagine when that happened, on that day as Jesus said, the pain rang out, as Jesus gave up his last breath, he said, it is finished. The enemy thought, that's the full stop we've been wanting for. That's the full stop on humanity's depravity. That's the full stop. Humanity, stay on your mat. You're never getting up. Put the body of Jesus on top of that. Roll it up. Keep it in the grave. Full stop, done. But let me tell you today, when Jesus said, it is finished, it was a full stop on your condition. It was a full stop on your superstition. It was a full stop on your tradition. But I want to tell you, it was a, just a comma in the hands of Almighty God. He says, but what I have started, I will bring to completion. He said, but what has defined you, I will come and redefine. This is the goodness of God. He says, actually, I'm inviting you into your future. Can we stand to our feet? I want to show you one more scripture. Isaiah 59 verse 19 says this. When the enemy comes in like a flood, comma, say comma with me, comma, when the enemy comes in like a flood, comma, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against them. Great verse. Except, translators again have been a huge odds So saying, where do we place that comma? And theologians will tell you that comma in the Bible you and I read has been placed in the wrong place. It should be this way. When the enemy comes in, Comma, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. The Spirit of the Lord will come. When the enemy comes in, like a flood, the grace of Jesus will flow. When that water has gone stagnant, like a grace of water, the water will flow. The water will flow. When you've got stuck and you've got nowhere to move, the grace of Jesus starts to flow. Where you've placed a full stop, Jesus says, today, I'm inviting you. Past your condition, your superstition, your tradition, I'm inviting you to pick up your mat and walk.